Welcome back, everybody, to Galadza, which today is looking back on one of Kautra's most unique figures, a revolutionary on and off the pitch, Zdenek Zeman, a man whose team's scored and conceded more goals than he's had drags on cigarettes. A man who wasn't afraid to take on the most powerful figures in football. Join us then on this journey into Zemanlandia. Wow, wouldn't it be great to have people chanting our name as we walk into the Goladso studio, A Gab Marcotti? A bit like in professional wrestling. Very much so. And we could adopt names and costumes as well. James Horncastle, you're already hard at work on that. Yep, I have got my leotard on. Horny pirate, R. <laughs> How the crowd would roar. Anyway, hey, now, today we're all about rhapsodizing about the Bohemian, a man who said, sometimes the losers, sometimes the losers takes a drag on cigarette, have taught more than the winners. I like to think I've given something more and something different to football. What a Zeman quote that is. Why is he so special? Why is he so beloved, James Horncastle? He was always an outsider. I think there's always been a resistance to, um, not necessarily foreign coaches, but people who have certainly very different ideas in, in Italy. And he's always stood out. Um, because of that and he was very countercultural. I think in coming in and basically saying you guys have kind of got it all wrong you know you focus too much on the wrong things which are you know the result when in actual fact basically you know what people come to the stadium for is to be entertained and that's what I want to do mm. and uh, you know the, the, the results should not be everything. Even when he was part of the mainstream mid-90s when he went to Lazio and then Roma and he was in the thick of the title uh, battle. He then made himself an outsider again by calling out Juventus and, and, and sparking what at the time was one of their biggest scandals in years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was the first person to go and, and, and talk about um, Juventus's uh, uh, use of pharmaceutical enhancements, um, legal pharmaceutical enhancements, and then you get into a whole hornet's nest. I mean, it's important to know, I think, that you know ultimately they weren't found guilty although then later because there's a whole bunch of different trials and there were some issues about improper assumption of drugs and, and whatever else but mm. that's a whole there's a whole hornet's nest there but but he was basically you know he was very explicit about it and and i think one of the things his critics would say is you know yeah it's very easy to cast yourself as the guy who's you know stand against power and so on because you know you're always going to get the protest vote you know beyond all that stuff which we'll talk about later and the impact that had both on on it's the italian game and, and on him but the biggest thing he did was his football uh the 4-3-3 and you know, it's funny when he returned to roma more recently and i think this happens most times he joins a club everyone goes yeah zeman's back even though when you actually look at it this is a manager who's been going for 40 years and has never won anything nor had a sustained period of success I think probably apart from maybe Fodger. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people but, say you're a dinosaur. You don't change. You know, your ideas are completely out of date. And his response to that is, no, you guys are wrong. My ideas are about 15 years ahead of our time. So you'll, you'll, you'll eventually see it. Amid all the kind of controversies that he ended up um, being sort of wound up in, um, during his time what Roma in 99, he basically was approached, I think, by Real Madrid. And yeah, he was told, no, you're staying here. And then what, six months later, he was out on his ass because because of the co comments he'd made about Juventus. 
whatever else you, you, you think about it, it, you know, people always exist in a certain context. And I think what he did, I'm speaking just about the football more than like mm-hmm. you know, the iconoclasm or whatever. So for those who, who don't know, I'm going to try to wrap this up in a nutshell, but he's basically, it was, it was a four, three, three where, where the back four played, played a very high line where you had one of the three central midfielders who sat a little bit deeper and as Roberto Di Matteo famously uh, said, who played that position for him, his job was you always had to move the ball first time. So you got the ball to circulate quickly. Um, and you'd be fined if you didn't. And you'd be, yeah. I, I don't know if he was, was fine, but you know he said that he was. And you'd had, it's, you know, when we think of 4-3-3, it's two wingers and a striker. With Zeman, it wasn't two wingers and a striker. It was three dudes who were in the penalty box. It was basically three center forwards. And then the width came from from the fullbacks who had to go and, but not just the, the fullbacks, but also the other two uh, central, win, uh, uh, central midfielders. And, you know, I watch Manchester City today and they have better players, a better coach. And obviously they, they have wingers, but, you know, some of these concepts in terms of, of the high line, in terms of flooding the area, in terms of the two sort of inside left and, 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 and inside right, you know, often overlapping uh, on the wings and, and then delivering the cross. There a lot of concepts that we see today, he had pushed back then, as well as the other thing, which everybody complained about, was the overtraining, right? right. He, he believed that, you know, we've only kind of tapped the surface. And, and why do footballers train for an hour and a half, what, three times a week, four times a week, because the rest are walkthroughs and travel? You know, surely if they trained, you know, like middle distance run- runners, um, then they'd be even better and they'd be more athletic. And, and then if you run faster, you win games. So all these ideas were there. The problem was Italian football in the 1990s was probably the worst possible place to go and implement it. Although in some ways... Because nobody else was doing it, it was almost the ideal scenario for him to enjoy success with that kind of fast-paced attacking football. I, I think certainly on with Foggia it was, but the problem with Italian football back then was, A, you had, you know, once you moved to Lazio Roma, is A, you had a strength and depth that, you know, didn't, it doesn't exist in, in major leagues today, didn't exist in major leagues back then. But most of all, we had this Italian disease, right, where... For whatever reason, we don't think of, oh, look, I'm keeping a high line. I'm keeping possession in the opponent's half. And that means because I'm doing that, the opposition's not able to shoot on goal, right? All we think about is, oh, look, because I kept a high line, the defender didn't catch the guy and we, and we, we you know, we gave up a goal on the counter. We're always much more comfortable with the guy parking the bus and, and the, the whole sort of like, you know, Chiellini stretching and the goalkeeper and these heroic defenses. And we think that that's, that's an intelligent way to play. It's okay to concede goals, you know, because, hey, look, you know, you were there, right? And that's, that, that's anathema in the world, in the modern game. Mm. It just doesn't but work today. Maybe that's why Zeman is, is such a He's ahead of figure. his time, yeah. Well, yeah, also because he kind of represents another ideal, a, a more romantic way of doing things. And but I, it's not, see, I'm sorry, but mm. people have said this about Pep too. It's not romantic. It works better. In Zeman's case, maybe it is romantic because will it ever actually work? Could it ever actually work? Well, we'll talk about that maybe, but let's start off by heading all the way back to the early 90s and Foggia. (laughs) 
per resistere agli urti della vita Fra quel che leggi sul giornale E certe volte anche alla sfiga Sounds of Luca Carboni with Ci vuole un fisico bestiale You need an animal physique Which is curiously appropriate you know, Riding high in the charts in 92 Zeman, who's okay, nephew of a former Juventus manager That's quite an interesting point in and of itself Because okay. of course he is, he is perceived to be the great enemy of Juventus And in fact, you know, he was a Juventus sympathiser at the very least When, when he moved um, from what was then what Czechoslovakia to go and live uh, with his with his uncle in Palermo, his, his uncle who won the league title twice as a, as a as a Juventus manager. So he's growing up there in Palermo, tries a bit of football, prefers handball, which some people feel maybe influenced him tactically, but is a massive student of sports medicine and the whole area of, of looking at physically what footballers are capable of. He. He goes through various moves, and we can go into enormous detail if you want about about how he begins, including taking over from Arrigo Sacchi, who just loined, uh, left to join Milan, taking over from him at Parma and lasting all of I think seven matches. Although he did he did knock out Sacchi's Milan from the the Coppa Italia, I think he he beat Real Madrid in a in a friendly as well in that uh, in in that brief period. Extraordinary, and yet they still got rid of him. Yeah, well, you know. So he returns to Foggia, who at the time were down in the third division, uh, where he begins this union with the, or, or reignites this union with the owner, Pasquale Casillo, and particularly the man in charge of bringing in players, Beppe Pavoni, and a, a team that rises from the third division to Serie A, and in the 91-92 season, completely rips up the rule book, I think, Gabriele, is, is that fair, of what people think they're going to see in a Serie A match. Yeah, because because it really was it really was so different. He had this when I went, when I went to see him uh, a couple years ago in Rome. He talked about one of his favorite players, uh, and I was expecting that you know he's had a fair few good ones, and but no, he he mentions a guy named Liszt, who he was he was a fullback. You know, he said Lanciava se stesso. You know, which <laughs> which basically which basically means he would effectively give himself an assist. And the reality was that this guy would just get the, he would just, you know, get the ball from the keeper or from the center backs, just look up the wing and just knock the ball 30 yards up the touchline to nobody because, as we said, the strikers played inside in the Zeman system. And he would just kind of run past everybody and get mm. there first. And, and it, it seems, it seems so stupid, right? You know, well, why doesn't Leroy Sané do that all the time? And and the reason was because the way Italian football was back then, and it was very simple, he explained this very well, he had his three strikers all go into the penalty box. And so what happens is the opposing fullbacks are like, uh-oh, danger, must, must follow striker inside. And all of a sudden, they're all really narrow. And all this guy has to do is just boot the ball 30, 40 yards, and he's faster than, than the winger who's, who's tracking him, and he just runs past everybody. And and he did that time and again. Well, I wasn't expecting that player. Uh, you had, as you say, so many other great names, quite a few of whom left after that first season in Serie A. You had the likes of Shalimov, Delano, Francesco Delano. Uh, oh, Dan Petrescu was there. Super yeah. Dan Petrescu. Yeah, we should mention that first year they did finish with the second 
they were the second top scorers in the league as yes. a newly promoted side. 58 goals scored. Yeah. How many had they conceded, James? 58. 58 as well. <laughs> and they had some remarkable results along, along the way and, and flirted with European places, which... Uh, uh, must have been an absolute re- revelation for anyone watching. Uh, uh, this was the year before we started the the Channel Four coverage, and as we arrived, the, the big thing was the way that season ended, because while there were highs, there were always lows with Zeman. And the final game of the season, they were two one up at home to to Milan, but ended up losing eight two at the at the Zaccaria. But anyway, it was already the, the narrative was already the, the Foggia dei Miracoli, the, the the miraculous Foggia, and, and what people were calling Zemanlandia, which was this weird alternative world where the result was entirely inconsequential, but it was all about this system that 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 Gabrielli was talking about, the four three three. Yeah, and you talk about the kind of cultural impact of of this team, it's, and 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 the manager himself, and that it's been the kind of subject of films, plays. Um, Seem to remember Frengo, you know, on uh, my dear. Oh, eh? Which again, sort of just to transmit the emotions of following of following that team. Really, yeah, he was. A, I mean, a cult figure. Yeah, and it was almost a, a cult of four three three. A notable Venditti song as well, which we would play a bit of it. Except it sounds like this. You know, Gab was, was telling us about the the player that you um, that Zeman yeah, thought of as as one of his favourites. I mean, many people were just associating with the subject of this pod a few few weeks ago. It's just Beppe Signori. Mm. You know, Signori had um, I think went from from what playing with Piacenza and he scored five go- five goals the year before he met Zeman, of which three were penalties. And then becomes you know one of the most prolific strikers that the um, the, the game has has known in Italy. Also, again, this I, this passed me by as well. But he had a year with Messina where yeah. he had Toto Schilacci, and again Schilacci had done hardly anything, and all of a sudden becomes top scorer in the second division and gets that move to Juve, and then Le Notte Magiche, you know, the Italian ninety. So sounds like he was a lot of fun uh, to work with if you were a uh, if you were a striker and if you didn't mind repeatedly running up the steps of the of, of the stands mm. i have to say i don't know did you, if you if you guys had this when when you guys spoke spoke to him but what's really difficult because when you interview somebody you know it's over a cup of coffee you're having a oh. conversation you never know when he's finished speaking no it's There's really long unnerved. silence yeah. yeah and then you then you ask you say your next thing and then he starts talking while you're talking, and he's finishing or adding to whatever. You know, it's it's really really unclear. No, his his speaking style is is as distinctive as his football was. Yeah, one of the things that I found interesting when I spoke to him and again, this was when he was at Roma, was that he would get the strikers would know exactly where which run to make according to the foot with which the midfielder went to play the ball, hmm. uh, and so it completely kind of minimised um, their kind of. Um, thinking time in that they all they had to do was just pay a little bit. If Di Francesco, for example, is about to play on his left foot, the striker Del Vecchio, whoever it was, knew one, which of one of three runs to make. You, if it was with his right foot, it was again something else entirely, which is yeah, I would say pretty pretty damn sophisticated. Well, you spoke yeah. to Di Francesco this week, yeah, about the Champions League and stuff. But did you, you asked him about Zeman? Did did he have happy memories of the Bohemian? 
Yeah, I mean, he he says that Zeman is is the the biggest influence on on his career. Um, he not only is very associated with four three three, but um, playing vertical all the time. You know, playing it as quickly as possible forward as quickly as possible. Um, but as yeah, is is also someone that I think is you know, does not want to be stereotyped as as someone who is just one of Zeman's children in mm. that. You know, for all the, for all the innovations that he had, um, this idea that you are you're a team that is you know, flaky at the back, you can concede a lot of goals. And mm. I remember Di Francesco was one of the you know, on the eve of the season they played Celta Vigo in a friendly, and they were three 0 down at half time. And you know, oh, here's another guy; he's just another Zeman, another one of Zeman's prodigies. You know, just and the reality is, is that over the course of the season, what have we seen? Roma with 17 clean sheets, in some respects, um, you know, would would debunk that. Um, but um, yeah, it was sort of you know, it was, it was great to be a midfield player, but did hardly any work uh, defensively um, in the team. It was just all all about the schemes that we would implement in attack, and that was it. Well, it made it glorious to watch. So 92-93, then they'd sold off Shalimov and Delano for a ridiculous sum of money each to Inter. And they brought in... <laughs> who else? I mean, seriously, who else? Brian Roy had arrived. Yeah. And uh, Gigi Di Biagio, future Italy manager Gigi Di Biagio was there. They, the season did not start well. They lost their first three. There was a, a crazy scenes when the Ultras broke into the stadium and smashed the place up and left signs saying Casillo Vatene. And uh, they, were, they were third last in December. Sorry, fourth last in December when Juventus came to the Zaccaria. Juve at the time were third and were Juventus as they remain to this day, of course. But they ended up 2-1 losers that day. When you look through the team sheet for the Juve, I mean, that was classic. Trapattoni come back from Inter. You had Puruzzi in goal. You had your friend Gianluca Vialli up front. Gigi Casiraghi alongside him. Kola uh, in defence. Andreas Mola was there. I mean, ridiculous side. That was the moment the Zemelandia hit the mainstream. Of course, that season also saw them lose 6-2 uh, against Fiorentina on the, the final day of the, of the season. But kind of whatever, that was all, all part of the ride. 93-94, Signori then made his big move north to Lazio. Think of how much money this guy made his club. Because he I mean, made ridiculous amounts of money out yeah, of this. Because, I mean, we talked about him as being this anti-establishment figure, someone who basically hates the fact that football has gone away from being a game to becoming an industry. And yet... Uh, he, yeah, he made his team's absolute fortunes. You know, mm-hmm. going back to I think what more recently, Marquinhos, uh, who was at Roma in that year, uh, in what his one year there, who was then sold after what being bought for three hundred grand to, to to Paris Saint-Germain for what thirty-two million or something. What about how much money he made Pescari when he went there with the Immobile Insigne and uh, and, and Verratti yeah. as well? Um, well? Okay, so Signori then makes the move. Is, is the next one to go, and. It's still a decent season that he has. It involves actually a 4-1 victory over Signori and Lazio, again at the Zaccaria. But his success, and I think possibly that victory there, was enough to earn him himself a, a move to the big club. And finally, the chance that so many people, are, the big what-if that people have been asking, what if you were to give an actual title contender to a man with these ideas? How extraordinary would that be? And, and we, we, we found out in the 94-95 season. When I spoke to him, he said, you know, I didn't play a high line, 
because I just wanted to go and outscore the opposition. I played a high line because it's a good way of defending because the opposing players go offside, and when they go offside, then they can't shoot and score against you. Defensively, I, I don't this idea that he, his teams couldn't defend or whatever. I I think is a, is a myth. Well, and it was recognised by Lazio and then subsequently Roman. Although there is a kind of a notion that Serie A was very conservative in the in the nineties, extraordinary to see a man like Zeman with his track record of, of kind of massive blowouts as well as great successes being given the keys to one of the most expensive squads in the world at that point. That Lazio team, a, a Lazio team which hilariously involved Paul Gascoigne and a, a player less suited to Zeman's ideas. <laughs> Hard to imagine, really. <laughs> mm. No, but I mean. Again, when you talk about that athletic preparation, um, there's that story about uh, his first pre-season with Lazio. Lazio think it's a good idea to get the kind of club suits sort of tailored um, you know, before they basically go away for their summer, summer training camp. Obviously, clearly unaware that this guy works his players so hard that you know, come the start <laughs> of the season, those suits are not going to fit anymore. Um, and uh, I just think that... It's funny, that Lazio um, team, yes, um, Cragnotti spent a hell of a lot of money on it, but they did seem to go through, looking back on it now, they do, did seem to go through uh, sort of boom and bust, you know, in terms of that they would assemble the team for, for a couple of years, it would look really strong. Mm. Then they would get rid of a number of sort of, I think in his final season, they, they got rid of the likes of Aaron Vinte, obviously Signori had gone. Mm. Um, and yeah, they... There was a reason why, for example, I think they wanted to get rid of, they were going to sell Signori and Casiraghi at the time. Um, and there was obviously the protests outside the um, Cragnotti's office because I think, you know, they they needed to, to sell to kind of really balance the books. And, right. Um, you know, obviously their luck ran out <laughs> in quite a spectacular way, sort of... Um, you know, a few the, years down few, the line. A few years down the line. Mm. It, that that first season, though, that he was there, they finished second in Serie A. Mm. The following year, a third place, and just incredible results along the way. A 7-1 against Foggia, which saw a hat-trick from Alan Boxic. Admittedly, Foggia were down to 10 men, but still just Lazio running. Seven goals in 45 minutes, all in the second half, which even with 10 v 11 is, is quite something because um, I think Zeman would lose a derby with Roma um, what a couple of years later, uh, even though Lazio had a uh, were, were down to ten men after eight minutes, he would still lose eight, still lose three one. So. Incredible, huh? Uh, they had a well, they they beat Juve three nil, the first time that Lazio had beaten Juve in thirty one years, and then they went and did it the next year as well. Yeah, and by the way, that was the Juve team who would go, who were defending champions. And who would managed by and future Italy manager Lippi, featuring future Italy manager Conte. That's right, as well as three guys named Viali, Ravanelli, and Del Piero up front. Um, fairly, Didier Deschamps, I think, was in uh, yeah. was in midfield, and it was stunning stuff. And but again, to give you an idea of how that game panned out, it was four nil, and Juve hit the woodwork three times. They had a ball this, uh, you know, uh, cleared off the goal line. It's games like that that made you watch, like, wow, this is special. Yeah. You know? An 8-2 against Fiorentina in March 1995. A 6-3 against Sampdoria that same season. But at the same time, in that in that campaign, and I think this was one of the nails in, in his coffin at Lazio, that game against Tenerife in the <laughs> UEFA Cup, which, which became legendary. Uh, Lazio had won the first leg 1-0 at the Stadio Olimpico, then taking on a Tenerife team managed uh, Gabriele by Jupp Heynckes. 
And who's he? Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Wonder what he got up to after that. And uh, I mean, this game goes back and forth, but the, the, the gist of it is that on aggregate, Lazio are three-two uh, up, having scored two away goals, and then four-three up, having scored three away goals, and it's in the bag. And they still contrive to to go out five three because they they will not stop attacking. Mm. And uh, there's kind of urban legend about this game that when he goes to Roma, they're in the market for a centre back, and Zeman um, basically says, "Oh, that guy against Ten- that guy played against Tenerife a few years ago. He was really good." And they're like, "Do you have his name?" And he's like, Phew. "I think it. I think it ended with a Z." And uh, they had two centre backs whose names ended with a Z: Cesar Gomez and Pablo Paz. And Roma ended up coming back, signing Cesar Gomez, uh, and it was actually Pablo Paz that he wanted. And Cesar Gomez was one of the worst signings in Roma history. He completely, I think, he made his debut in the derby. They got absolutely smashed. So Roma made that signing on the basis that it was a player whose last name ended in Z. Yeah. So anyway, the the, the dream ends, <laughs> and in I think uh, January after that Tenerife match, not long afterwards. He's he's fired and and Dino Zoff came back in at the yeah, point of right. the There's a great uh, classic Zeman uh, in the in the weeks that follow because he keeps going to watch Lazio because I mean he lives he lives in um, in Fleming which is near the Estadio Olimpico and he would he would you know keep showing up in the stands and the, and the fans didn't want him to leave in the first place because they loved his football and applaud him and he was asked you know why do you keep coming to Lazio games and he was going well you know you all keep telling me that. Um, that my Lazio team defended so badly, so I just wanted to see where I was going wrong, you know, and that sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what happens next is pretty bizarre, because having been fired by Lazio, kind of the last thing you'd expect is that Lazio's biggest rivals would then pick him up, but that's what happens in the summer. Roma decide to sign him, and again, give him the keys to the kingdom, and a a young but very exciting team that features, or will once Zeman's got his hands on it, Francesco Totti. Yeah, who um, really, I, I suppose, took off under Zeman, even though he'd been what, given his debut on the Vujidin Boskov and then had, you know, had been sort of protected, played, nurtured by Calamazzone. Totti really sort of begins, I suppose, to fulfil his potential under Zeman, playing, what, on the left side of that 4-3-3, because um, in theory he could get a little bit more space out, on, out wide. And, yeah, even though he didn't explode in the way that we saw him under under Spalletti when he um yeah he won the golden boot you know this was a player who was what fine, beginning to get into double figures um quite regularly and was who else was in that Roma team there was it Del Vecchio it was pre Montella I mean c- compared with Lazio some of the players that they were they were signing were just absolutely terrible I mean we we told about Cesar Gomez they they were there was one summer where he was like, I really need a striker. Can you get me Signori? And they were like, no, Lazio are not going to sell a Signori. And so they were like, well, okay, well, what about Pippo Inzaghi? And apparently, since he did not get on with Moji at that time, so that was a no-go. Well, can we get Sheva? No, he's too good. Milan have already got him. What about David Trezeguet? That's not going to happen. And they end up with this guy called Gustavo Barteld, who again, just flops dramatically. And it's just... I mean, some of the players that they were signing in, in, in those days were just, yeah, even compared with their crosstown rivals, it was just yeah. like... And Baghdad wasn't even, though, because there was the other Jao... Was oh, it? Fabio Junior. Do you remember Fabio, Fabio Junior? The Junior. other Ronaldo. Hmm. He's going to be better than Ronaldo comes, flops massively. Yeah. Yeah, it's and despite that, Zeman still gets them fourth in his first season, fifth in his second, before the club decide to bring in kind of a blue-chip Scudetto winner in Fabio... 
Capello. Now, we mentioned before the fact that um, his comments while, as, uh, while, while Roma manager about Juventus, which led to a court case, which led to threats of legal action from Del Piero and, and Viali after Zeman called into question how exactly they'd become so, so muscular... The impact that that had, and maybe that had a role in his departure from 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 the Gialarossi. I, I always thought it was just that they went, look, this is a romantic ideal. This is a a fabulous way to 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 run your football team. But if you want to win a title, Capello's the man to do it. But Zeman specifically cites that as the reason that his career went off a cliff after leaving Trigoria. I trained in peace until 98, considered to be one of the best in the country, if not the world, and then my career was almost over because of my comments. Essentially, we talked about this at the top, took on the mighty Juventus when he was asked by a Spanish journalist what he didn't like about football, and he said the use of pharmaceuticals. Now, he says, and he actually said this in court when the whole Calciopoli trial happened years later he said listen i've been dismissed many times in my career only one of them was a real was a genuine dismissal it was lazio but what happened post roma napoli salerno and lecce that was all because juve put the word out nobody can touch this guy we want him out of the game and although you might feel especially given this record at some of those clubs that the the, the dismissals were justified it's really interesting that in that same trial the bologna and agazzoni says that he was thinking of bringing in as denik zeman to the club and he ran the idea past giraudo at juventus which is a kind of bizarre idea anyway but as he puts it Gazzoni. Juve were a powerful club and I didn't want to do anything that disrespected them. So I asked Giraudo what he felt and Giraudo let it be known that he didn't think there was any need to bring Zeman to Bologna. So I decided to leave it at that. It's a remarkable portrait of the way that that whole system ran. Juve at the time, obviously, and even today, they have a lot of players under loan. Uh, on loan. Um, you had Moji and his son who... You know, they had a player agency. They had a lot of influence among certain clubs. They influenced everything. I mean, it wasn't just clubs and players. It was managers. It was even journalists who would be sure not to oh, say anything yeah. to upset Moji. Well, because so some of the intercepts that come out after Calciopoli, you hear Moji with Aldo Biscardi. Um, I think after one of the Domenica Sportiva or something like that. And they are just absolutely slating Zeman, hammering him in, in really not nice fashion. You know, saying, you know, what's what record is he set this time? Record of, of being sacked. And part of the testimony that um, that Zeman gave at that trial, I mean, he tells this anecdote where, you know, he goes from Napoli, I think, to Salernitana. Napoli, uh, where he lost it, I think, was it nine games or seven or something? Like and that. he says the sporting director at Salernitana said, oh, yeah, well, that was all arranged, wasn't it? In, 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 in so far that... You know, Moji got together with uh, the president of Napoli of, of the time. It was all just a big plan to destroy you in that base. Basically, this would be your last chance at a big club. And, you know, the fact that you were going to get sacked after six, seven, eight games was all prearranged in that. It was basically just to ruin to ruin his career. Um, yeah, that that was his allegation. You know, he, he, he again, I think, then went to work um, with Avellino. And I think, I think Avellino at the time were owned by um, Pasquale Casillo, his former president at, um, at Foggia. 
And he claims again that Casillo was told by Mochi because they were in trouble of, of going down to the third division, I think, at the time. You know, if you keep if you keep Zeman, you'll go down. If you get rid of him, you'll survive. Things like that. Um, it's sort of weirdly prophetic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> by the same token, it's kind of like to make an analogy in present time England for some people. It's like if somebody were to say, "If you keep Alan Pardew, you're going to go down." You know, I mean, Ooh, it's that's quite damning. It, I don't know if Dennis Zeman and Alan Pardew is a comparison you want to make. But but what I'm saying is, these notions become self fulfilling prophecies, and I can I can take Zeman. I, I can see. Zeman's side of it. Mm-hmm. I can also tell you that you could also go back to the 98-99 season where there was a sea change at the club. Obviously, Franco Baldini coming in and Zeman being actually difficult to deal with. But also, if you are, if, if, if everybody around you is putting you down and making sure you can't get a big club and mm. you kind of wonder, you know, why don't you, are you glutton for punishment? Do you really think that, you know, a near bankrupt Napoli is where you're going to jumpstart your career well he did go abroad after that he goes to Fenerbahce oh yes it's a calm stable environment (laughs) really I I, I can think a few places better to go and restart your career so his his run after Roma basically 19 years 15 changes uh, he made including returns to Roma two spells at Pescara which I I guess is probably the the best bit of the certainly the the first time around the best bit of that kind of post of post-fall career. Yeah, I think to some extent he he resurrected his career or again began to capture people's imagination again with that Piscala team that he had in the second division where, you know, he was always a big sort of believer in Lorenzo Insigne. He'd had Insigne in his what, third spell at, uh, at Foggia mm. and um, basically loaned him again when he was at, uh, at Piscala. Did the same with Ciro Immobile and, and, you know, was the guy who sort of I don't think he ch- he changed Verratti's position in the way in the same way that uh, Mazzone did with uh, with Pirlo all those years ago but again all of a sudden this very promising player who'd been talked about for years um starts playing to that kind of potential um to the point where what PSG paid 12 million for him 18 and never played in Serie A and that team was just an absolute uh, joy to watch they scored 90, 90 goals yeah, yeah. 90 goals, conceded 55, but still, mm. plus 45 goal difference. Oh, no, plus 35 goal difference. Still impressive. But, I mean, he, he, he won the second division, what, maybe two or three times? Yeah. And, you know, one of his explanations for that was like, well, that's where, that's where you play football. In Serie A, it's all about business. It's not about football. I, I do also wonder to what extent we would have had Calciopoli, to what extent the magistrates would have been going after Juve had it not been for Zeman in kind of the late 90s, just being the first guy to stand up and go, hang on a second, Juve are not doing things by the book. And that first set, because it was the same PM, it was the same magistrate who was involved in the the agricola, the the, 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 the pharmaceutical business, who then instigated and then followed up one of the wiretaps that led to the whole Calciopoli thing eight years later. Well, I think the thing is the context before he basically um, gave that interview to um, L'Espresso, um, where you know he basically said oh, it's a little bit odd to me that you know a goalkeeper who's 28 all of a sudden is 
you know, his glove sizes go up a bit, you know, and he... he if the glove fits. <laughs> well, it didn't <laughs> anymore. That was the problem. But he was, you know, he'd been he'd been talking and talking before this by, you know, he'd be, he'd be asked questions about, for example, the designation of the referees, how it wasn't fair, how the fact that, you know, I think one, one day a reporter put it to him, you know, do, do Juventus win because they're a great team or they get great favours as well? And he was like, well, can it not be both? You know, the, 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 but that so he'd been. I wouldn't say yeah, he'd, been, he'd been poking for a long time, right? And, you know, I think now years later, I think the perception that a lot of people have is that it wasn't just a big evil plot. It's that everybody was was angling for favors. Everybody was putting, or almost everybody, certainly Inter Milan were as well, mm. as we later found out with Facchetti, were putting pressure on, on on referees and so on. Everybody was trying to get an edge. It's just that that Juve were better at it. For all of this, and his career has tailed off in a in a in a dramatic fashion. He's seventy now. Yeah, yeah. it's a shame. I don't know. Are we going to see him again? He came back to Pescari, opened up with a five nil win. Brilliant, but it it quickly. It it seems like the the success was sustained even shorter this time, and he was fired uh, earlier this month. Uh, it's it's always a shame when he goes, and it's always great when he comes back because you just dream again. Wow, is this going to be the time? Yeah, I mean that's his his entire outlook on football is a very simple one. In that, um, you know, if you give someone a ball, a child a ball, the first thing that they'll do is they'll they'll run and they'll shoot. You know, if you give a child a ball, the first his first instinct is not to go and man mark someone. Um, which, you know, is 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 entirely right. So yeah, you know, it, it all comes back to that. I think mm, beautiful. All right. Well, one or two other things to talk about in this edition of Golazzo. So we'll get onto those after this. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the football stock market, Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of Serie A, the Premier League and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to Golazzo, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with a seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. TNCs apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. Wow, how about this for a gear change? Zdenek Zeman, Zemanlandia to uh, Di Biagio Landia and the new look Azuri. We've we've had two Italy games since we last spoke. The 2-0 defeat by Argentina and, of course, the 1-1 draw, Italy rescued by a penalty. Uh, L'Italia che va, as, as this morning's Gazetta has it. Um, briefly, any thoughts on the new look Italy on the the steps forward that the Gazetta certainly says that they made in in Tuesday night's game with with England? These are friendlies. The results are irrelevant, especially when you're not going to a World Cup. Um, I thought they had 20 good minutes at the start of the second half against Argentina. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, Argentina simply have far better players and they didn't didn't perform against England. I thought they kicked it up several notches. You know, if if that if Immobile doesn't squander three chances early on, mm. um, 
maybe maybe the game turns out differently. If Parolo and uh, who was the other player on the free kick? Rugani. Yeah. Rugani. Yeah. No. Look. Yeah. Ultim- what are they looking at? <laughs> ultimately, you know, you look beyond the goals, right? Because yeah. you've got a, a controversial penalty in Italy score, and the other one is you have a you know a communal brain fart, and Jesse Lingard's clever and takes advantage of it. Look at the way they performed on the pitch. I thought there there were a lot of positives. For me, actually, I know Rugani got slaughtered by some for that, but take that moment out of it. Mm. And I thought he played really, really well. Apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you feel about the play? Uh, Sorry, James. No, I said, apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it changes anything at the end of the day. To some extent, I I was encouraged by the performance, but... um, yeah, I think that it shows that there's no real quick fix um, no. there. And the, the players. Well, although there is a there is a really good talent base there, it's just that he seems to have you know, bar two or three players, it's it's more or less the same side that that Ventura played. Right. Um, and Insigne, who was the big, who was conspicuous by his absence against Sweden, didn't exactly justify his inclusion with that miss against Argentina. No, I think to be honest, some of the yeah, it's clear with not just him but um, Jorginho as well that um, yeah, they're in such a highly coached side with with Napoli, where they have all these very precise mechanisms. They you know they don't really have to think about it; it just it just comes off. Um, can do everything by heart. Um, when you when you take them out of that, you know, it's obviously. It's it, it, I think it's going to take a, take a hell of a lot more work really to get them to perform. As they do for their for their club for their country. Really. Mm. Do we know who's going to be the next Italy manager? We'll get. A, well, apparently it's going to be announced on May twentieth. May twentieth. Yeah. yeah. All right. I don't know why that date. Why? <laughs> like you know. I mean, why would you say that? <laughs> Un- unless you were really. I mean, well, May twentieth is the day that. Does uh, the Russian in season end that day or something? Sadly, yes. Uh, no, but May twentieth is is the, that's the day by which every UEFA season has to be has okay. to be over, right? Because All right. So maybe the, the, the Champions League yeah. final. Um, so that's the day that, you know, Conte might become available. It's the day Mancini might become available. There's a school of thought that, uh, I, I don't think they've just, I don't know what you think. But I, I don't think they've, they, they, they've have anything in the bag because they're incapable of keeping anything secret. <laughs> no, but I think maybe by that, maybe they figure out right, by that day, maybe then, maybe then we can announce Mancini or maybe Ancelotti won't get another job and maybe we can rope him back in. If we don't get anybody, yeah, let's just continue with, with Gigi Di Biagio. Mm. You know, I, I, I really think that's the idea. Who learned his trade and is then examined at Foggia. There you Coming go. It all, full, it all ties back. Full circle. All right. Now, this weekend, we've got a marathon of Serie A for you. If you're anywhere near a BT Sport-compatible television, Saturday morning, it all begins with the Gazzetta Football Italia. Can't see that title sticking but anyway 10.45 Saturday morning previewing the day's action it being Easter all the games being played on the Saturday and Gabriele and James you're joining me for that that's going to be very exciting we've then got uh, big games coming up Roma at Bologna that's 11.15 on Saturday morning Di Francesco going up against his son wow what a narrative Mm. well you can tell us more about that in Saturday's Gazzetta Football Italia Uh, then there's other games going on in the afternoon, including Der Classica, Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Munich. But the big one for us is at 7.30. Juventus taking on Milan. Of course, this is against the backdrop of the only title race in Europe. Juventus, who are two points ahead of Napoli. 
Napoli, meanwhile, are visiting Sassuolo, who just ended it. They were on a terrible run, but they, they, they ended that last round with a, a win at Udinese. So this is a huge match for Juventus. If they slip up here, Napoli can go back on top or at least pull level. And, of course, it's Juve Milan, so that's just massive. And, of course, it's the first time that Leonardo Bonucci will be playing <laughs> against his old club, Juventus. Wow. And, of course, then, not long after that, a week today, in fact, Juve will be taking on Real Madrid in a rematch of last year's Champions League final. Wow. Might talk about that next Wednesday in Golazzo. But for now, many, many thanks to Gabriele and James. And from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. My name is Matt Davis. You'll have heard me on the Totally Football Show and Gorilla Position. And for those of you who enjoy your talk about spandex screw jobs and cheap pops as much as your discussions of the Premier League, the Champions League and beyond, then here's some news to brighten up your road to WrestleMania. Ooh, yeah. I've hurled the jabroni who used to host the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast through the barbershop window so that we can begin a new era. New guests, new music, new gimmick, new spandex. <laughs> Parts Unknown begins on the first week of April with our WrestleMania preview show. And once we're done reviewing it seven days later, we'll begin breaking down all the previous manias from 33 to 1 in our WrestleMania Rewind. Here we go! We'll also have interviews with WWE superstars past and present and analysis of the current pay-per-views. Sound too good to be true? Oh, it's true. It's damn true. So, if you enjoyed Parts Unknown before, consider this reboot the Ringmaster becoming Stone Cold, Husky Harris becoming Bray Wyatt, or Kane becoming the Mayor of Knox County. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast, from the people who bought you the Totally Football Show. Subscribe now on Acast, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. <laughs>